0: So each one, of those, um, dis- each one of those things that we believe, hope beyond our brokenness, trust in our risen Savior, and restoration for our community, those have decisions attached to them. And, and so we read this every week, but let's read it again together today. Um, these are the decisions that someone who follows Jesus makes every day. Okay, let's read this together. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God Choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So that's the choices that we make today. Um, and today, today's sermon is going to be about, about the choice that Jesus makes for us when he makes us his disciple. Uh, And that's where today's sermon is going to be. And today we're starting a brand new sermon series on the book of John. Uh, The book of John is, we're going to be working our way through the entire book. We'll be in the book of John uh, from now until... Um, probably the end of the summer. And so we, you're going to be able to, we're going to soak and sort of bask in the words of Jesus and what Jesus does. And I'm so excited that we get to learn together on this. Also, if you've been um, working on the Bible in One Year app that Nikki Gumbel works through, that is also going through the book of John. So it works out perfectly together. So uh, let's pray before we do anything else, and, and then we'll get going. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Now, we pray against every distraction, everything that would be uh, opposed to Christ that would be trying to interfere with this time now in Jesus' name. We bind up and silence the enemy in Jesus' name. God, we pray for your peace and your presence here right now, that you would be speaking directly to us, Holy Spirit. That you, by the power of your word, would separate from our spirit anything, any lie, Anything that's not of you, Jesus. That today, right now, would be a time of transformation, of deliverance, of resurrection. We trust you to do this work, Holy Spirit. We give you permission to work on our hearts and our minds and our spirits. If you agree, say amen in Aramaic. Amen. So the book of John is written by... John. Who's John? Uh, John was a teenager when he met Jesus. And John was a high schooler. That's right. In the peanut gallery over there, there's some high schoolers. Right? Some guy named Kayla. I can't remember your name. Um, But, right? So, John was a high schooler when he started following Jesus. He was the youngest out of all of the twelve disciples. And so after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, John spent time hanging out with the other young kid that was part of the Jesus movement. His name was Timothy, and they were sent to modern-day Turkey on the west coast of Turkey right across the, the, the sea from Athens in a little town. Actually, it's a big town called Ephesus, and, and so he had these two, two kids Right? 19, 20-year-old college students, Timothy and John, and their job was to plant the church in Ephesus. And so when Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, he's writing the letter to Timothy and also John as they struggle to lead um, uh, the, a church in, in the wild, wild west. So after years of faithful service, John is about ready to retire. And as John is about ready to retire, something unexpected happens to his retirement plans. He's arrested and then imprisoned in an island right off the coast of Ephesus called Patmos. So um, go back one, one slide, John, to the map. So there's Athens uh, circled on the left. And then there's, F, there's the circle... On the right is where the island of Patmos is, and I think a couple of people have been to the island of Patmos. This is what it's like. Bob and Sherry have been to Patmos. Next slide. Here's Patmos today. This is quite nice. Back in the day, there was one building on site, and that was the prison. And it was not a very enjoyable place to be. And so there was John stuck on an island with nothing to do except think and write and survive and boy did John write. John wrote letters to to churches, so he wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Then Jesus shows up to John. He gives Jesus this, Jesus gives John this incredible revelation. It was Jesus revealing the reality that God not only wins now over the powers of evil, but that God will win at the end of all time over the powers of evil, and that revelation, that singular revelation, John wrote down into one book. Say it with me. What's the title? Revelation. No S at the end. Stop that. Just one revelation, right? And that's the book Revelation, okay? Now, uh, John also had written, he, he had in, in his possession, he had Peter's account of Jesus's life. Peter had a secretary. Peter was a He didn't graduate high school, Peter. He was a fisherman by trade, and so he had a guy that was really good at writing. His name was Mark, and Peter told his story. Mark wrote it down. That's called the Gospel of Mark. It's Peter's story. So John had that, and then Luke, who was also a disciple, John had Luke's account, and John had Matthew's account, so he had these letters before him, and John wrote his account of Jesus' life, the Gospel of John, when he was much older. Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke all wrote their accounts when they were in their thirties and forties and fifties. John was into his seventies and eighties when he wrote his account. And for those of you who are older, you know something we don't. A lot. Right? Yes. You say amen. amen. Say say finally. Amen. Yeah. I'm recognizing that you know more than us, who are younger than you, because you've been around longer, and with that comes perspective, and with that comes uh, a sense of knowing um, how much things weigh and where to place the emphasis on the right syllable, right? Does that make sense? You picking up what I'm putting down? This is, why, this is why old people, when they say things, they mean it, Right? I said, I messed up. I just said old people. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting booed and hissed. Wise adults. Wise adults. They mean what they say. I'm blushing. Oh, my gosh. my God. You guys. Okay. Seasoned. Seasoned, right? Heavily salted and peppered. Um, so, so this, is what, this is what's so great about John is that John writes, when he writes his gospel, he's writing, he's writing something that's, that's different. He has everything before him. He knows the order and what to emphasize. I mean, he lived it. He was there. But, but he also can write something completely different. And the uniqueness of John's gospel is one of the things that makes it so wonderful. And so that's what we're going to be starting with today. Now, how many of you, when you start a good book, you flip to the last page, read the last page, and then you start at the beginning? So there's a couple of, uh, right? There's a couple, right, where you just can't stand it. You can't handle that much anticipation. And so you read the last page, and then you say, okay, good. So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to read the last verse of John's account of Jesus, the Gospel of John, because that last verse really orients the whole thing. And and if you read the last verse... and the idea is, is that when you would read the last verse of John's gospel, that you'd go, oh, I get it. And then you'd start at the beginning, and with that perspective, then you would, then everything as you start then would make sense. Does that, You picking up what John's putting down? Let's read together the last verse of John's gospel. Here it is. Read with me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Just think about that, by the way. All of the accounts that we have of Jesus, that's not even come close to everything that Jesus did. Isn't that cool? Let's keep on reading. And they're not recorded in this book, 31. But these are written, so the stuff that I've written down here in this book, ready, 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's John saying? He's saying that everything I'm writing is to help you to believe that Jesus is is way more than just a nice teacher or a good moral person. He's way more than just a a pastor. He's the Messiah. He's our Savior. And on top of that, he's not just playing the role of the one who's going to make all things better. He's also the one capable of making all things better. He is the Son of God. He is God himself, the third person of the Trinity okay on top of that then notice the grammar so that you may believe that Jesus is the sign and that by read read that word with me believing that's an active ongoing everyday kind of thing and that by believing in Jesus that Jesus both can be your savior and has the power to do that as you put the weight of your life each day on Jesus what happens You get life. Wait wait a minute. I I thought I'm already alive. Well, John is saying this is a bit different life, a better life, a more alive life. And that's a really profound statement. That's a really profound statement. That you trusting Jesus, believing Jesus is both your Savior and your God, As you do that, it will give you life. I was watching a YouTube video this week of a pastor who died and went to hell. Maybe he wasn't a very good pastor. I'm not not sure what happened in this guy's life, but he died and went to hell and spent 23 minutes in hell. And um, I was reading all the comments underneath this YouTube video, um, and people were sharing their own experiences in the comment sections that they had gone through the exact same thing And I was like, oh my gosh. So he had like, like four or five different people saying, yep, that's exactly what happened to me. And they're giving these dates and times that they'd been in hell as well. And hell, I guess, has some commonalities to it. There's no light. There's no joy. You can't hardly breathe. There's no sleep. There's no rest. You're constantly in pain and in agony. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's absolutely no hope You're there forever. That's the experience that these people are having being in hell. There is no life. None. They're parched. They they would want water, which is like a little bit of life. And all they want is one drop, just like Lazarus in the Gospel of Luke. He dies, he goes to hell, and he wants just, just, um, the rich man says to Lazarus, please just give me one drop of water. Right? That's what these people were experiencing. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, it's, well, it's hell. And I'm thinking to myself so when John says that in Jesus there is life, he actually means it. He actually means it. That that you and I, we get a taste of hell right now when we try and live apart from God. Amen? Where there's no rest and there's no life. We buy things. We want things. We try and get things to try and feed our souls and they never satisfy. We're constantly thirsty for stuff and we, and we finally get it and then it doesn't help. And what John is saying is, look, if you want life, everlasting life that will really fill you up, it comes only by trusting that Jesus is your Savior and that he's God, he's capable of doing that. So, how how do we get this life? Well, that's what the book of John is about. So that's the end. So let's start at the beginning and read together John 1, verse 1. Ready? Read with me. In the beginning was the Word. The word, was, God. The word was, God. was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So the first thing you need to understand is what is this word, capital W word? What is that word? What, what, what does that mean? And in, in later we're going to find out next week in verse 18 that the word is Jesus. So we'll just, uh, the cat's out of the bag. Jesus is the word, okay? Um, so now in Greek, that word, the, the word, word, that's awkward. In Greek, it's called logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. What does logos mean? It means the word. I just told you that. So, so, you, you know logos all the time, right? right? Theo-logos, right? Theology. So, words about Theo or God, right? Psychology. Your psyche is your spirit. That's the Greek word for spirit. So, psychology is logos, words about your spirit, right? So, um, the, the, the word logistics might be the best uh, yeah. way of understanding what logos means. So logos is, is, a wor- is the word, but it also has a couple of secondary meanings, which are really important for you to understand. It can also mean intelligence. It can also mean order. And that's what logistics is, right? If someone is an expert at logistics, what they're doing is that they're looking at chaos, and with their intelligence... They're bringing order by organizing things with their words. Does that make sense? This is, this is an analogy of my marriage. Here's me, chaos, and here's my wife, who's brilliant at logistics, and with her intelligence and her words, she creates order out of my chaos. Thank you, baby. I love you. Right? Again with the applause. Now they're just mocking you. <laughs> what, is, what is John saying? Jesus brings your chaos into order. Jesus takes the hot mess of your life and number one, he gets it. Number two, he gets you. Look, he's not bothered by the hot mess of your reality. He's not afraid of the mistakes that you've made or the knots that you currently find yourself twisted up into. Jesus can bring every part of your heart, of your mind, of your relationships, of your body back into order. And he's speaking life right now, order into your life. Are you listening? Would you like Jesus to bring order to your life or are you going to keep on trying to do it by yourself? That's, that's, the, uh, that's the alternative. Either you can do a better job than Jesus of bringing your chaos into order or you're going to have to trust him to do that. April's already t- taken for, right? Like, I got her, right? But even she's not enough for me, right? I need, I need someone who can save all of me. So I, I know we're going slow. We've only made it like into like the seventh word. I guess that's the sixth word. But, but when you're reading scripture, go slow. It's actually, it's okay. John spent a lot of years in prison in his own version of hell. Um, and because he's a seasoned, brilliant saint, <laughs> he knows what he's talking about, which means that every word here weighs 50 pounds. He's not saying stuff that doesn't matter. There's no filler here. Ready? So let's get try and get past word six. So read with me. In the beginning was the word. Okay, let's stop there. Um, so, so that's when. That's when. In the beginning. So Jesus was at the beginning of creation before creation was ever created. Science has proven that creation started in a moment called the Big Bang. For decades, they said it was eternal, wrong. They finally figured out that the, all creation had a beginning. They've mathematically proven this, and it's wonderful. They ascended the hill of science, and they said, we've made it, and there they found all the theologians who said, welcome. We're glad you finally showed up, <laughs> right? So Jesus was, in the beginning, there was Jesus, okay? Now let's keep on reading. In the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God. Okay, let's stop there. So what do we learn? So that's the where. Jesus was was when in a a time, but he was also in space. He was next to God the Father. Okay, that's good. So read with me from the beginning again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Oh, how interesting. So what John is saying is that, look, Jesus and our Heavenly Father are distinct separate, yet there's something totally the same about them in that they're both God. More on that in a moment. Let's read verse 3 together. Actually, 2. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So verse 3 is John, he's trying to have a Um, He's closing all loopholes, meaning that Jesus has made all things, and Jesus is currently making all things right now. Jesus made you. Jesus is making you right now. Every person on earth, every baby in their mother's womb has been knit together by Jesus himself. All life is sacred and worth protecting. Amen? Amen. This is why the Apostle Paul says that because of Jesus, our enemy now is never against flesh and blood. Our enemy is against uh, the powers and principalities of evil, the devil himself. That's our enemy. We would never make unborn children or born children our enemies. Amen? All life is sacred. You are not God's enemy. You are God's beloved child. God made you. God wants you. God adores you. Now, zoom out a little bit. These verses feel a little bit familiar, especially that first line, in the beginning. Have you heard that before? That's Genesis 1. Let's hop there for a moment. Ready? Here's Genesis 1. Read this with me. In the beginning, God... Okay, wait. Sorry, I messed up. Pay attention to where the word shows up. Okay? So, ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, there's God the Father. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there's the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, pay attention, when does the word show up? Verse 3, and God? So where's the word? Right, verse 3, God said, God is speaking, and that Is the word. That's Jesus. Isn't that amazing that in Genesis 1, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there? Isn't that incredible? So let me explain this thing called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that? Um, And I have a helpful analogy. Um, Here is the ancient Celtic idea of the Trinity, that you have three distinct things that are also all one. That's the symbolic version of this. And of course, um, let me use a a different example, and and that is that uh, you and I, because we're made in the image of God, which means that you are a little trinity, let me explain. Um, you have a mind like, the Heavenly, like our Heavenly Father. You have a body like Jesus. And you have a spirit like the Holy Spirit. And each one of those things are separate and distinct, but they're also totally one. Does that make sense? So you can lose part of your pinky And it will um, impact your mind and your spirit, but just because you lose a part of your body doesn't mean you lose a part of your mind. And this reality that we are little trinities was brought home to to April and I when our son Jonah had brain surgery, and the doctor said, we're going to remove half of Jonah's brain. And this is, you know, six and a half years ago, this is to save his life from unstoppable seizures. And so... Uh, you know, we're going, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Because science says that who you are is in your brain. And so if you lose half your brain, then that will mean you will lose half of you. But the reality is, is that who you are is connected to your brain for sure, but it's also independent of your brain, which is, it's your spirit. So here's Jonah. Um, this is three days or four days before surgery. This is at Disneyland. There he is on the left. Um, and there's Levi on the right. And you can see that Jonah is laughing, happy, and smiling. That's who Jonah is. Okay? So, so there's Jonah. And, and the doctors are saying that we're going to lose half of who our son is when he, his left brain is removed. Um, but because we are little trinities, we know now that that's not true. So when Jonah had surgery, one of the things that we were most terrified about was, are we gonna lose who Jonah is? And from the right when the moment he woke up, he was showing us that he is who he is. So here's day six after surgery. Now, you can see that there's an impact to to the surgery, right? So Jonah's right face isn't moving, that's because his left brain is gone. So his whole right side of his body, he had to retrain. He had to relearn how to walk. Finally, he's getting his face and his smile back. He's had to relearn how to use his arm. He's never going to be able to use his his right toes or his right fingers or hands again. So so yes, there is an impact to who Jonah is. But this is six days after surgery. And what is Jonah doing? That's because Jonah didn't change His spirit remained the same. Here's day 12, right before going to rehab. There he is. Look at that guy. Sorry, baby, I didn't tell you. Um, You cry. That's me getting back at you for all those times. (laughs) I don't tell my wife when I put pictures of our son up there. My son Jonah is a little trinity. He has a, a spirit, and he has a body, and he has a mind. And you are a little trinity, What happens to your body impacts your spirit, it impacts your mind. Does that make sense? Now, God is the Trinity and what's different about God is that those parts of what God makes the the Trinity, they're not just parts of God, they are distinct persons. So we have God the Father who is a distinct person, God the Son who's a distinct person, God the Holy Spirit who's a distinct person, and yet they're all one. Just like our body. So John is saying that Jesus, the rabbi carpenter from the backwater podunk town of Nazareth, is God. And he's God the Son, the Word of God, the only one who can take the hot mess of your life and bring it back into order so that you can have brand new abundant life. You picking up what John's putting down? Let's keep on reading together. Verse 4. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. Jesus is life. Jesus provides life to every single person on this earth and into our darkness Jesus shines. And there's no evil in this world, there's no demon in this world, there's no structure or political party or nation or, or, or corporation in this world that can overcome or overwhelm or overturn the light and the power that Jesus has. Amen? And the word overcome there um, is is this great Greek word called katalambano, which means to seize or possess, to understand, or to corral or contain. And what John is saying here is that darkness cannot wrap its its arms around Jesus to comprehend him or to overwhelm him. At the sight of light, darkness flees. Now, I know some of you this morning, you have family members that are in deep darkness. You feel like this person that you love and adore and care about is just lost. And you wonder, God, I've been praying for this family member for a long time. What's going on? Are you going to show up? Are you going to do something? They're in darkness. Lord, just shine your light. And I know that some of you have areas in your life right now where it's pitch black. Where you feel like, man, there's no way that God can, me- can change this really messed up part of my heart and mind. And I know that some of you right now, that, that you just find yourself in darkness. And it's nothing that you've done. It's just life. Life is just this big dump truck that's backed up and dumped out darkness and pain and sorrow on your life. And, and you have no idea where to go next. You, it's dark. You can't see. You don't know the next step to take. What is John saying? He's saying that that Jesus created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you. He's not afraid of your mess, and he he joins you in it. The light shines into the darkness. Jesus is not waiting for you to figure it out, to get it all together, to come out of that darkness on your own. He's joining you in your hell. And he's saying, I'm here. I love you. You're my beloved daughter. You're my worthy son. You're not too addicted. You're not too sick. You're not too lost. The person is not beyond help. But you have to admit something here, and this is important. When Jesus shows up in, into our darkness, what's the first thing that we do? We don't say, "Oh, welcome! Welcome to the deepest part of what I'm ashamed about or what I'm this most painful in my life. What do we say? Turn that light off! Go away! I don't want you here. I don't want you to see this ugliness. I don't want you to see what is so painful. I, I have it on my own. I'm fine. Thank you. I don't need your help. That's the first thing that we do. And it's essential that you admit that. This is what we do when we're in pain. We, we, we isolate. We, we cover up. We withdraw. We, we want to sort of try and fix our own hearts on our own and Can I just tell you that that's literally called hell? That's what hell is. Hell is you in the darkness alone trying to get out by yourself, but you can't. And so what does Jesus do? Does he say, fine, be that way? You just stay there till you figure it out. No. That's not what Jesus does. What Jesus does is that he enters into your hot mess, into your darkness, into the hell that you're living in, and he shines. Now, sometimes we don't want Jesus to do that. So Jesus then does something else, which is really ingenious. What Jesus does is that he'll send someone, a friend, who's been through the same hell that you have, who's trusted Jesus, and that friend will come to you and say, I know what your hell feels like. I've been here, and my job is to point you to Jesus. And so that's why after verse 5 in John's gospel, the scene shifts quite dramatically. Let's read verse 6 together. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. This is not John, the teenage disciple of Jesus, who wrote this book. This is another guy named John the Baptist. Okay. Now, John the Baptist is the biggest celebrity in Israel at this time. He fills stadiums. He has a million Twitter and Instagram followers. Doesn't even have a smartphone. I mean, like, is a brilliant strategy, right? He's dressed in the hippest clothing around. It's full retro only camel hair. He's a vegan, just locusts and honey. I mean, the guy's got it going on, right? I mean, he's like, he's got dreads. He looks good. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy's so cool, right? And so what did John the Big Bad Baptist do, right? Verse six, he came, verse seven, he came as a witness to testify concerning the life. So this was amazing about John, and he he wasn't like this. He wasn't all, oh, look at me. I'm so wonderful, no, that's not what John does. He's like, my job is to tell you the truth and only the truth to help me, God, about the light, Jesus himself. I'm a big pointer to Jesus, but the guy, I mean, he could preach, he could talk, he could pray, the guy could do it all, and, and he's saying, look, I'm, I'm here as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through Jesus, all of you might believe, and John himself was not the light, even though he was pretty great, right? But he came only as a witness to the light. And John had an amazing slogan. I mean, he's telling everybody, look, I've lived in hell too. I have your wounds. And I know where life comes from. And it's not me. It's from God. And you have to first admit that you'd prefer the darkness. You, You isolate in the darkness. You have to admit that actually you don't want the light to shine in. You have to admit that. And then you can... Trust God, like that's where you have to start. But of course, his PR firm was really good, and they, like, plastered on the side of his tour bus that was pulled by twenty-four donkeys. Um, they had this incredible phrase. It was amazing. It was trending on Twitter, and it was called this: "Repent, for the kingdom of God is here." And what John is saying is, look, look, that's that. There it is. God is here. He's here. the The King and His Kingdom are here. In the middle of our hell, and what we have to do is we have to admit that we isolate and we prefer the darkness and that we don't want help, and then when we do, that's when we'll experience life. Verse 9 The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, he came. To that which, which was his own, but his own did not receive them. If you have a teenager, you know what this feels like. Right? I gave birth to you and you won't even talk to me. Oh, we're hanging out with friends this weekend and, and one, of the, one of them we're talking about, their, their teenage daughter, Tynan, I love Tynan, she's a reporter now at the Denver Post and, and Tynan didn't talk to her dad for two years, right? Dad would walk in the room and Tynan would be like... You know, because she was so mad at her dad, and, and, and this is what Jesus feels like, right? Like, he walks into the room, and all of us are like 16-year-old girls. We're like, Pfft, whatever. It's great. So, so we don't recognize him, and so what John the Baptist did is that he, he, he had this amazing technique. What he did is, as these stadiums are being filled, he says, you know what? Like, my words aren't going to be enough. I need to give you an experience. So he's the first performance artist. It's incredible. And, and he, he would say, look, um, how do you have this experience? I need you to experience of uh, I'm going to take you. We're going to go into the River Jordan. This is the place where your great, 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 great grandfathers and grandmothers crossed. Remember that from a couple weeks ago in the book of Joshua? And remember what water symbolizes? What does water symbolize in the ancient Near East? Chaos and death, right? Not life. Chaos and death. And so John says, okay, I'm going to dunk you into the water and and hold you there until the bubbles stop, (laughs) right? Because that's where you are. And then John would then pull them out so that the people would have the experience of saying, by myself, I'm dead, I'm alone, I prefer the darkness, I don't want to be in the darkness, but I also can't stand it when the light is shown. And I need someone to pull me out because I keep on choosing isolation and I keep on choosing trying to fix it on my own. And I just need someone who saves me, who does the work for me and pulls me out. And so people would have this experience of being baptized into the death and then being pulled out. My favorite baptism that I ever saw was was a, a little black boy and And he walked into the baptismal font and before the preacher could ever have a chance to like dunk him and pull him out, he goes like this, I baptize! And he just dunks himself and then he walks out the water. (laughs) That's what we want to do. We don't want to have the experience of of the last bubble coming out wondering if we're going to get yanked out. What we want to do is we want to pull ourselves out and that's not how salvation works. God saves you at the moment when you're done. And that's what John was giving people an experience of. He's saying, are you done trying to save yourself? So these people, they would leave this experience with John the Big Bad Baptist and they would go, man, I'm, I'm new. There's something different about me. I'm the one who's been saved by my heavenly father. God adores me. I, am, I belong to him. Verse 12, read this with me. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This is our last verse for the day, and I I want you to, to pay attention to it. It's something that we often skip over, but this is so essential. Your parents don't define you. A person's decision to love you well or to abandon you does not define you person's decision to hurt you does not define you. The darkness that you've suffered, the darkness that you've created, it does not define you. The moment that you say, Jesus, I'm done. I can't save myself anymore. I need you to save me. The moment that you trust in Him, something happens. You now are defined by the God of the universe. And how does he define you? He says this, you are my child. I've adopted you. You're an heir. This is a legally binding document that you can't mess up. When your kids mess up, you don't just sort of say, well, now they got to change their last name. No, When your kids mess, I know you might be tempted to do that, but it's really not true, right? When when your kids mess up, right, they're still your kids and you would never leave them. You've been adopted. You have a brand new identity. You have a brand new name. And so John, all throughout the book of John, he will refer to himself in this really odd way, right? And it goes like this. He is, read this with me. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, that's a whole lot of words for a name. But in the Greek, it's only one word. And it goes like this. Agapa. Agapa. You know what that means? Read this with me. Next slide, John. That's your name. That's your new last name. You are beloved. Look, you're never going to be able to trust Jesus with the things in your life that are just ripping you apart unless you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he adores you. The year is beloved. Next Sunday, we're going to have a, a cross in two different stations, and we're going we're to put nails in that cross to remember That Jesus does anything to adopt you. That Jesus suffers on your behalf because he loves you. And so you have a choice to make right now. You have a choice this week. In your darkness, are you willing to finally say, I can't get myself out? Are you willing to finally say, God, I, I need your help. You've got to come rescue me. Are you willing to finally listen to, to the friends that God has sent to you saying, hey, let's, let's, let's go to Jesus. Let's follow directions. Let's do something different. Are you willing? Absolutely. So there's three people that have said they've made a decision right now. So I'm asking you to make a decision. Are you willing to ask for help from Jesus that you would be willing to follow his directions? Listen to the friends, that he's, the spouses, the, the people that he sent in your life to help you get out of your darkness. Are you willing? So that's good. So, okay, there's like 18 of us now. Those of you who have not answered, that's wise because you might not be willing. But let me ask you another thing. Maybe, maybe you're not the one in the darkness. Maybe you have a friend in the darkness, a spouse, a loved one, someone in your life, and they're just stuck. Are you willing this week to be the friend? Not the friend who saves, not the friend who fixes, not the friend who makes it all better, but the friend who says, I've been in hell too. And the only way that you can have life is through this guy named Jesus. And would you be willing to have an experience with me? I won't leave you. I'll be with you. I'll join you. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to be that kind of friend, that kind of parent, that kind of grandparent to the people in your life? I tell you what, oh good. (laughs) Okay, there's six. Would you be willing? Ooh, that's more. There was way more of you on the second time. You like the idea of helping rather than the one, but that's normal, that's human. I tell you what, if, if you do this this week, if you say yes to Jesus and let him save you if, you, if you were willing to be that kind of friend that would point to Jesus, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Life. More and more and more life. Less and less and less hell. And more and more and more life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we so are so desperate to have more life. And we look at the people in our lives that are that are tornadoes, they're causing hell and chaos and pain and and Jesus, we want them to say yes to you. And we need to know what to do. We need to know what to do with people who who refuse to repent, who refuse to listen. Lord, give us the grace to be able to take a big step back in the name of love. And Lord, we also need to know what to say. To the friends that are stuck would you please give us the right words would you please affect our our facial expressions and our tone that it would be full of love god thank you that you don't ask us to fix these people thank you that our job is to simply point to you and then they get to make a decision and lord i pray for each one of the hearts of my friends here today that they've said yes to you in some way, shape, or form. They've made a decision to let you, Holy Spirit, have your way. And I pray that when the light is shining in their darkness, like you're doing right now, God, that they would not run, they would not isolate, they would not scurry, but they would say yes, and they would walk towards you because you know beyond a, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them. Bless and seal these good words in the hearts of each person here today. I pray against all the enemy's plans to rob, steal, destroy, or choke out the truth that you've spoken. Holy Spirit, may it grow into something incredible, a tree that would bear life. And all God's people said?